Hey, there are some, I want to say exciting. Exciting is a good word, but um, it goes way beyond exciting. Some of the things that are happening here at the church and within the things, the, the um, ministries that we've, that have been birthed out of Grace Chapel. And throughout the summer, I would like to take a few minutes and share some of those um, some of those God things that are happening within this church that I think will boggle your mind, to say the least. OK, and um, and I a couple of months ago, we, we talked about an opportunity that we had uh, through self-sustaining enterprise, which was, was birthed out of Grace Chapel. And so I asked Pete uh, and David Amber to come up and just kind of give an update on how God is moving through self-sustaining enterprises in people's lives. You own your own business, you're going, welcome to the world of owning your own business. <laughs> you thought we were giving them a gift, and it was like, a gift of a hassle. No, this is, uh, I, this is the way the church should function, right? This is the way the church should function. If it's not sinful, it's what? Amen. Exactly. This is a perfect example of that. Someone offers us something, we look at it and say, you know what, it's better for an individual to own this than self-sustaining enterprises. And we look at this opportunity and God puts it in our laps and now someone's life is completely changed. You have to be thinking outside of the box. It's just a biblical way of thinking. How do we invest in the lives of people in our church? And not just, and not just uh, you say, the spiritual ways. This is a spiritual way as well, but there are practical spiritual ways that you can invest in people's lives. This is just one of them. And this is just one story throughout the summer that I'm going to tell you. If you miss a Sunday... Um, honestly, you're going to miss a lot because not only are we going to be preaching on this new series that we've started, but also um, there are a lot of exciting things that I want to share with you. I can't share with you all in one morning, but I'll do them one thing at a time. Now, before we move on, though, I want to run a couple of things by you. Um, walk for Water. I'll take out your family news bulletin. Inside there, there's a registration card for Walk for Water. Please fill that out and take it to the, the, uh, the Welcome Center or the Ministry Center right out here outside this door to the right. Um, there'll be people out there to receive these from you. This is going to be a great opportunity for us to come together as a body, have a fantastic time of fellowship. Registration's like 20 bucks. We're not going to have people raise money for it. It's just 20 buck registration. You walk with your family. You raise a lot of money for a well for Nigeria. And here's the bottom line. People don't die. We've drilled over 110 wells so far since we started, servicing over 100,000 people and saving thousands of lives. This is what it's all about. So make sure you read that and make sure you fill that out. Uh, one last thing. Uh, June is the notorious time for people to be gone. I understand that. I'm going to be gone this summer sometimes too. Uh, but June is bad and the giving goes the same direction. Here's the problem with that this year. We are, we, you see the, the pine trees back here and the rose bushes and everything we planted in the back? We're putting fencing up next week so they won't see the railroad tracks anymore. It'll just disappear into beauty, okay? We're also, we're also working on the Bay Area over here. We're pulling out those loading docks. We're going to put a glass door in the right-hand side so it'll be another entryway for you to get through that way long-term. We'll have that in there. It'll look very, very nice. We're planting trees and landscaping out there so it won't go down like this anymore. It'll just be a nice landscaped oasis for you to hang out with your family, building a big barbecue grill out there. We're also doing renovations for the children's ministry in these back rooms, ripping out some of the walls in the back there and making a larger room out of those smaller ones. There's a lot going on, and we're going to get it all done this summer. Okay, now 
Which means, dig deep, brothers and sisters, okay? You gotta, <laughs> that means we got to give, okay? So please remember your giving. Please remember your giving. We are doing better financially this year than we've ever done in the history of this church. So I'm not up here begging, I'm just asking, amen, exactly. I'm asking because I do not want to go through a $30,000 June. Every couple of years we go, we can take $30,000 from our buffer and it's gone. And if we do that, there's other projects we can't do. So let's keep the giving up so we can do all the projects and beautify this entire place. Because if you've been coming here a long time, you've seen how far we've come. But we want to come and finish the race. All right. And we want to do a lot of the outside finishing this summer. All right. There was a farmer. There was a farmer, and, and in, this, in this farm, they had a lot of trouble with this stone that was in the middle of one of their fields. For generations, this farm had, had had to deal with this large boulder. They said it was like a boulder. It wasn't very tall, but it, was, it took up a lot of space in the middle of the field. And so for generations, it caused them all kinds of problems. Well, one day, the farmer was out in his field and he was plowing. And he hit this rock. Oh my gosh. And he broke his brand new plow. And he was livid. He was livid. He said, I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. I, gotta, I have to get rid of this rock. I've got to get rid of this big boulder in the middle of the field. And so he got his two oldest sons and he, got, he took his sledgehammer and that, and that driving, that pick that they used, and he went out to the field. And if I'm standing, if I'm, this is the rock and I'm the boulder, I'm standing on it. He went to the edge of the boulder and he thought, I'll just start over there and start chipping away and chipping away and drive it below the surface. And he took out a sledgehammer and his first powerful blow broke off a huge piece of the stone. He and his sons were shocked. It's like, what on earth? How could that happen? How could I have broken off such a large part of the stone with one hit? They got out their shovels and they started, no one ever done this before. They started kind of digging below the surface of the rock and they found out that the rock was in mass across pretty large, but it was very thin. It was really thin. So in hours, they were pounding at this rock, and in hours, the rock was broken into pieces, and it was gone. They were stunned. They were stunned. They couldn't believe it. They could have saved years of frustration, years of frustration, and solved so many problems by taking the time to just look below the surface. Just looking below the surface. So some of you may be asking, what is this series, Great to Good, all about? What's it about? Well, I read the book, Good to Great, years ago. Very, very uh, helpful book for me. I, I thought it was filled with a lot of helpful information. It helped me by asking some really good questions. It encouraged me to ask some really good questions at that time in my life. I asked a lot of good questions. And it was also filled with practical information really great principles that I could apply to the church and to my life in different areas. So about uh, a year ago, I started thinking to myself, you know, I had this idea to do a series that dealt with opposites, contrasts in the Bibles, not contradictions. I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself at all. Okay, but I wanted to do series on on opposites, on contrasts in the Bible. I wanted to kind of dig below the surface and try to answer some questions that were causing people confusion 
so that we, I could help them remove some of the obstacles to their spiritual growth, some of the obstacles that would be in the way. You remove obstacles sometimes by just digging below the surface and asking some good questions. See, part of the problem with our spiritual lives is we ask the wrong questions. We ask the wrong questions, so we come up with wrong conclusions, and we build the spiritual, our spiritual foundation on flimsy ground, on shaky ground. And that's what's happening in our culture right now, in our Christian culture. We are building our spiritual foundation on shaky ground. We ask questions like, how can I be great? Or, you know, what, what, what makes a person great? Now, that's not a bad question, but I think it's putting the cart before the, before the horse. A better spiritual question to ask would be, why do I want to be great? Why does someone want to be great? The why question, I think, is better. It makes us think a little bit deeper. Instead of how can I be great, why do I want to be great? That would be a good spiritual question. The disciples asked Jesus a question similar to that. They said, who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're walking along and it seemed like they, they had a concern about that, that, that question. Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' answer may surprise you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. It says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, listen to what it says, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, first, notice the disciples were asking about the kingdom of heaven. They, 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 they're at least on the right track here, okay? They're at least starting out on the right track. They're saying that greatness in, the, in this world and greatness in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are not the same. They're not the same thing. The disciples understood from spending their time with Jesus that what the world considers great and what God considers great are two different things. So they understood that part. They, they, they didn't have a desire to be considered great by the standards of this world. That really wasn't their desire. But they were very, very concerned. And they were, and they were almost overly concerned. And they were really persistent in asking Jesus about this. Who's going to be the greatest? Because they, they really wanted to achieve it. They wanted to achieve this, this status of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So you think, well, they're talking about the kingdom of heaven and they're not trying to get the acclaim here. So that's good, right? Well, not so fast. Not so fast. It seems fine on the surface, but this series that we're going to be in the entire summer, okay, is really about digging below the surface. And as we dig a little deeper below the surface, we find out that Jesus was not at all pleased with the question. You think, you know, in our, as, we re, as we read this sometimes in the Bible, we think it's pretty surface, right? It's pretty surface. They said, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus said, well, if you be like this little, you're like this little child and a little child's humble. And so you be humble and you'll be graced in the kingdom of heaven. That's the end of it. Thank you very much. I read that. I'm done with it. That's not at all. If you dig below the surface, that's not at all. It's not at all what's happening here. 
Jesus doesn't even like the question. Doesn't like it at all. He's not pleased with it at all. This is why we're teaching this series. Because, because even when we think we're on the right track, our ship could be sailing dangerously off course. It doesn't take much, does it? If a ship just goes a tiny bit off course and then sails long enough, it ends up in a completely different place than where they were hoping they would be. It doesn't take very much. That's what happens in our spiritual lives. We pull things out like God is love and pull this out and, and pull that out. And we think we've got our theology already. We don't. And we make a mistake when we do that because we sail off course. All you need to do is just change a little bit. And you're sailing dangerous, dangerously off course in your spiritual life. The Bible says that he called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There are a few surprises here, if you really think about it. He said, unless you change, you will not even be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Forget about who's the greatest. You're not even going to be there. If you read it, just look at it. He's not talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you don't become like this little child, you will not be in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's a little unexpected. So now we really need to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says we need to become lowly like a little child. This is really important stuff as we, as we share this with other people, as we look at our own spiritual lives. Now, I believe that once you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, you are saved and you are secure. So don't, that's not where we're going here, okay? But this is a kind of a, it's kind of like that 2 Corinthians 13, 5. You know, test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So let's call this one of those test questions for each one of us. Jesus made it clear. He made it absolutely clear that in order for you to enter the kingdom of God, you needed to be born again. You needed to be born again. You need to have that personal relationship with him. He's saying that you have to turn over a new leaf. You need to start over. You need to change. There needs to be a transformation in your life. You need to change. You're on the wrong path. If you're on the wrong path, you need to change lanes. You need to change direction. You need to transform. You need to be born again. You need a change, a transformation to happen in your life. And that happens as you give your life to Christ. So he's saying you need to change. But why would someone who believes they're following God need to change? People say, hey, I, I believe there's a God. Well, James said, even the good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Different sermon for a different time. But think about it. You think, well, why would someone need to change who's following God? Because maybe they're going in the wrong direction. Maybe they're going, maybe they're traveling again. They're just off course a little bit. For many people, the search for spirituality, their journey and search for spirituality leads them in a different place than becoming like a child, the way Jesus is talking about here. They're saying, how do we become greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says you can't even get there unless you become like a little child. Some people on their spiritual journey are going in the opposite direction of becoming like a little child because it goes so much deeper than we think. It goes so much deeper than we think. So what was Jesus saying here? Is it, is it that by making yourself lowly and becoming like a child, a person becomes the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, partly. 
You see, Jesus is really, really concerned about the lowering part, the lowly part, the humble part, the little child part. He's not at all concerned here about the great part. And I'll explain that in a moment in greater detail. So what does it mean to lower yourself and become like a child? Well, first, let's look at the contrast. Let's look at the contrast to the way we think. There's a huge, this is what this series is going to be all about. The huge contrast, okay, the opposite, if you will, of what Jesus says and then how we, the world, we, I don't care how you put it, think. So first let's look at the contrast that we find when we deal with this passage. Adults do not like to think of themselves as low. They do not like to think of themselves that way. Now, another important biblical principle. God doesn't really care what you like or don't like, what you think or don't think sometimes, or you feel or don't feel in some situations. God's not, God doesn't run his whole world, his whole life, and his decisions based upon how Jeff Greer thinks or what Jeff Greer sometimes feels, or what I like, or something, or something I don't like about what the Word of God says. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You see, what we like and don't like, what we think and don't think, are usually not in alignment with God's will and purpose for our lives. Therein lies a big problem. This is what Jesus is talking about. The focal point is Jesus' will and purpose for our lives. We need to get that clear. And God is saying, hey, your thoughts are not always my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And I need you to be thinking, I need you to put on my glasses. I need you to see it from my perspective, not your own. I need you to go below the surface. I need you to look a little bit deeper into what we're talking about so you can understand what you what I need you to hear is what God would say to us. See, adults don't like it. Jesus is saying you become like this little child. Adults don't like feeling powerless and weak and small. They don't like to be on the lower end of the totem pole to other people. Don't like it at all. Adults want to be seen as powerful and strong, and they want to be seen and respected as great. I mean, think about it in our own culture. We have arguments all the time. Who's the greatest athlete? And who's the greatest this? And who's the greatest business guy? And within your own, what I learned in, in so far at 50, in 50 years of living, almost 51 years of being alive, everyone, is, everyone tries to be great in their own little sphere of influence. I'm the best architect to ever, in my architect, I'm the best, and I'm the best at this, and I'm the best, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Remember Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. That's what we're focused on. Uh, who is the greatest? That becomes a focal point for us. And adults don't like it when they don't feel powerful and strong. That's the way we want to be. That's the way. Here it is. That's how we want to be perceived by everyone else as powerful. And it's from, listen to me, it's from that perspective, the question, who is going to be greatest, arises. That's where it comes from. 
That's where this question came from. Who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's from that perspective that I just described to you. That's where this, that's where this question arose. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have these little children, right? You have little children. They're totally oblivious to what you think about them as being lowly and small and powerless and weak. Small children, as they get older, you know, we, we kind of teach them these things. But as small children, they're totally oblivious to what you think about them when it comes to their smallness and their weakness and they're not powerful and all these things. Very small children don't care about the question, who's great? They don't care about it at all. They, they don't care. That, that's what it means to lower yourself and become like a little child. They don't care about the question. It's not important to them. And for good reason. Why, question, don't small children care about the question, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Because there's something infinitely more important to a child than this question. There's something infinitely more important to a child than being considered great. And you know what it is? You know what that really is? It is being loved and protected by mommy and daddy. That's what they're concerned about. They don't care if you think they're lowly. They don't care if you think they're powerless. They don't care if you think they're small. They don't care about any of those things. That is not their concern. They don't sit around. My grandchildren, all five of them, don't sit around and have debates amongst each other. Like, who, who's the greatest? And, you know, which one of us? Is, they, don't, they don't talk about those things. But I'll tell you what. They're very concerned about where mommy is and where daddy is and where my food's coming through and who's going to protect me when something happens. And I start to cry. I immediately, with grandma, they're with grandma and grandpa. You know what? Something happens. What is the first thing they say? Where's, where's mommy? Or where's daddy? Those are the questions they ask. Where's mommy? Where's daddy? That is infinitely more important to a child than who is great. They don't even care about the question. What they care about is who is that person who loves me and that person who protects me. Are they close by? That's what they're concerned about. Is the person or the people that I trust, are they around? You see, a child realizes early on that they don't have any power. And they instinctively know, they instinctively know that they cannot live or thrive unless their parents or someone who, is, who, who they trust, okay, is close by. They instinctively know that. They totally understand that. That's all they care about. All they care about, all they truly care about is being in their parents' arms, being close to mommy, being close to daddy, being close to the person who protects me and loves me and that I trust. That's what they care about instinctively. I remember God brought this to my mind, this, this, this memory to, to me when I was writing this sermon. I remember we, it was with my mom. And I can't remember exactly where we were, but um, we were walking down a sidewalk and I must have been five or six years old, about that age. And I remember these two teenagers, older teenagers or young 20s. It was dark. We were on a sidewalk and we were, there was a building that went around this way. And as we came around, these two teenagers came running, older teenagers or young 20s came running toward us. My first instinct was to do what? Hide right behind my mother. I just, I just got right behind her and hung on to her leg and got right next to her. 
And they, and they came running up to us and realized that we weren't the people that they were looking for. They were just, you know, they were just playing around. They thought we were their friends or whatever. They ran up because it was dark. And all I saw were these figures, these big figures coming toward us. And as a child, I hid behind my mother. And after they left, my mom said to me, she said, oh, you never have to worry. She said, I'm tough. I'm tough. And she's from Brooklyn, so she actually is tough. She, <laughs> she would have taken those teenagers and thrown them around. No, she was tough. I mean, you know, you know that's what I, and I, I instinctively would hide behind my mom. If my dad was there, I would instinctively hide behind my dad. I don't care about who's the greatest. All I care about, who loves me, who protects me, who do I trust? That's what a child's concerned about. The innocence of I need to be with the one who I can trust. That's what the disciples were missing. As I mentioned before, they weren't looking for any kind of authority. They weren't looking for any kind of benefit. They weren't looking for any kind of acclaim or any kind of power in the here and now. That's not what they were looking for. And many people would think, even right as we're sitting here, would think, so I don't understand what the problem is. They're thinking about the kingdom of God. They're thinking about the kingdom of heaven. So what is the problem? Here is where theology really, really matters. This is where we need to dig below the surface, because it does matter. People have a sinful nature, okay? They're not good at heart. They have a sinful nature. We're created in the image of God and are capable of doing amazing good things. We are, because we're created in the image of God. But people, theologically, have a sinful nature. The disciples were people. They weren't gods. They weren't mini-gods. They were people, and they had a sinful nature. And the Bible tells us that Jesus knew, he knows what's in a person. He knows what's in a man. He knows what's in a woman. He knows what's in us. And therein lies the problem. There's the problem. That is why Jesus didn't like the question. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew what they were truly asking. Therein lies the problem with the question itself and the reason he didn't like it. They were only interested in what they themselves would be getting in the kingdom of heaven in exchange for what they're doing in the here and now. And he knew it. What can I do to be great? Wrong question. You come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do I need to do? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He knows what's in a man. People have a sinful nature. They're talking amongst each other a lot about this. Wrong question. Wrong question. Here's the problem. The focus of their interest was on what they would get from the kingdom of God, not on God himself. They were more focused on what they were going to get from the kingdom of God and less focused on God himself. We, when, we don't, when we don't get this right, we will misunderstand Jesus' message in verse 4. The Lord says this, The person who lowers himself and becomes like this child will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus was not telling them, dig below the surface, Jesus was not telling them how to be the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven. That's not the answer to the question. 
He is not telling them how to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knew if they took it that way, they might spend all of their time here on earth doing what they needed to do, doing, you know, humbling themselves, lowering themselves in order to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is false humility. You see, some people are like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Let me explain something to you. When I, as, as a parent, now at Joshua, when Kim and Jen were growing up, if, if, I said, if I said, don't throw the ball too close to the window, and they just did the kid thing and got it too close to the window and broke the window, some people will be all, like, all worked up about the broken window. You know what got me all worked up? Not that they made a dopey mistake by throwing a ball through a window. It's when you rolled your eyes at me. Don't you roll your eyes at me. You know why? Rolling your eyes says something much deeper than throwing a ball through the window. We're all caught up with the actions. Jesus could care less about the ball through the window. What Jesus is concerned about is the attitude of the heart. He was concerned this false humility we start building up in him. Remember what he said about those who were fasting? He said, don't be like these hypocrites who fast. He said they wipe dirt on their face and tear their clothes and they walk. Oh, man, I'm so hungry. I'm really hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Ask why am I hungry? Oh, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm fasting. And then you might be asking, why, well, why do you have dirt on your face? Well, I'll roll around in sackcloth and ashes. I'm fasting. And look how spiritual I am. I'm more spiritual than you and you and you and you and you and you and you. You're pretty clean. Dirt on my face, outward appearance, false humility. That's what he was concerned about. He's training these guys. He's teaching these guys. And he doesn't want them to be that have this false humility. Humility with a motive, the wrong motive. The wrong motive. That's what he was concerned about. He's concerned about the heart. God is concerned about the heart. This is why Jesus didn't like the question in the first place. By doing that, by having that, by getting that false humility, you end up going in a completely different direction than becoming like a child that Jesus desired for our lives. We end up going in the wrong direction, looking on the outside. Oh, my goodness. Look how much they, look how, oh, my, my, my. That's not what he wanted. Remember the widow's mite? Sneaks up there, puts that little mite in there. That guy's like, jingle, 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 jingle. Right? All the money. Look at me. Look at me. That's not what he's looking for. And he's certainly not looking for it in his disciples. Become like a little child. That's what Jesus intended. Not false humility. Sincere sincerity. Think about it. The child in this account was just standing there, not insisting or demanding that he be rewarded for his accomplishments of standing there with his parents. He was totally they were, whatever, he or she, totally content with being there. Just, just being there with his parents. Being in the presence of those that he can trust, she could trust. That's all they were concerned about. It reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha, doesn't it? A little bit in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is going through this town and he stops in the home of Mary and Martha. And, you know, they hear that he's coming and, and uh, Martha starts running around and, oh, I gotta get, I gotta do this and I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this. And she's doing and preparing, getting all stuff for Jesus and impress everybody and, cause Jesus is coming. And Mary's kind of just sitting there, soaking up everything he has to say. 
Martha gets mad because she's married just sitting there and says, Jesus, get her off her rear end. Come on, get her up. She's not doing anything. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, it says this, Martha, Martha, answered the Lord, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary was satisfied just sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. Just being with him, not doing for him. You think sometimes the pastor spends all this time with God. Oh, you spend all this time, pastors and other, all different kinds of pastors spend so much time with God, right? Well, confession. Sometimes in my life, there have been times in my life where I've gone a week, and if you said, well, how much time you spend with God? I'd say, I, I, I studied this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and this, and that, and this, and the other thing. But if you look me in the face and said, how much time did you spend with God? Um, not, Not much at all. I did a lot for God that week, but didn't spend a lot of time with God that week. There's a gigantic difference between Martha and Mary. Yeah, I can I can talk about my wife. And do things for my wife all week long. You ask my wife, how much time did your husband spend with you this week? None. But I did this and I did this and I did this and I did that and I did this. But did I spend relational time with my wife? She would answer in some cases, no, I did not. doesn't matter what I did for her. I didn't spend time with her. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Spending time, getting, getting to the point where in our depth, in the depth of who we are, we just want to spend time with God. We want to be like a child in the arms of its mother, just spending time with God, just relying and depending on God. The command to lower yourself is not merely talking about just, just humility. Just act like you're humble. It's so much deeper than that. The person who is truly low, talking about low, lowly, is looking up. They're looking up. The person who is, who is, who is low, who is powerless, who is small, trusts in the one who is in control. Trust in the one. I'm not putting anyone down here. I'm not saying don't try to be the best that you can be, but be the best that you can be for Jesus Christ in whatever you do. The person who is truly lowly, the person who is truly small, if you will, the person who person realizes that they are powerless, that they don't have control of everything. They focus on the one who is in control. They turn to their heavenly father like I hid behind my mother. They turn to their father. You see, the kingdom of heaven is a place where our relationship with the father reflects in our complete and total and utter trust in God. That's what he's talking about here. What are you worried about being great? Worry about your intimate relationship with God. If we study the life of Christ here on earth, we should expect that the kingdom of heaven is a place where there's no need for rank. I don't know about you, and I say that I'm not, I won't say I don't want to be there. Obviously, I want to be there. But if if the if the kingdom of heaven was a place we where where I had to worry like I do on earth, where who's the best and who's the greatest and who's this and how, how do I get a... That's exhausting. I'm sorry. I'm ex- I'm ex- that stuff exhausts me. Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, gave us a great indication 
okay, what the kingdom of heaven would be like. There's no need for rank. There's not a place where there's going to be a, a, a chance. What, what do we care about? Who's greater than? We're with, we're with God. We are with God. We are with Christ. That's what's important. To, to enter that kind of heavenly kingdom, we need to become like children. We need to change our way of thinking. We need to have that kind of childlike attitude. We need, uh, one of the things I really, 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 really want to help people understand during this series, and including myself, where I can continue to grow in this area too, is that God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. He is so much more concerned about who you are than what you do. That's what he cares about. Who are you? He's not so, he doesn't need Jeff Greer to accomplish anything on this, in this world. He can use somebody else. At the end of the day, I'm not getting to heaven. He's not going to say, oh man, oh, holy moly, I, oh, I can't believe that. I don't know what I would have done without you, man. Holy crud. I should have left you longer because without you there, the whole world is going to heck in a handbasket without Jeff Greer around. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Anything that really, he say, when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, it will have to do with the attitude of my heart, the man that I became, where I started and where I finished. That's what he cares about. Everything else, God can do anything he wants without me. But what he wants of me is to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that. Who you are is so much more important to God than what you do. My friends, you will never be great. You will never be great until you seek to be good. Until you truly seek to be good. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It says this. I love this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Listen to this. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. God wants us to walk in the good way. When we transform our way of thinking, when we truly transform our way of thinking and walk in the good way, the way up in the kingdom of God, the way up in the kingdom of God looks like the way down in this world. The way up in the kingdom of God looks to this world like the way down. It really is, my friends, if you will, a race to the bottom. A race to the bottom. You think about it, you know, you don't have very far to fall if you're on your knees, do you? What can man do to me? You want to become more like Jesus Christ. And Jesus illustrated what I'm talking about at his last meal before he was crucified, where he washed his disciples' feet. Peter was so overwhelmed by the idea of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, his Lord, okay, washing his feet, that he refused to let Jesus wash his feet. Why did he refuse? Why did he get so worked up and say that you are not going to wash my feet? Because at that time, culturally, only the lowliest servant washed 
people's feet. My friends, please understand something. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, okay, think about this. Our Lord and Savior ended up naked hanging on a cross. And the last one, the last things he did on this earth was wash his disciples' feet. Now, he proved who he was three days later. But on this earth, that's the example that he gave to us, to be like little children, to be those ultimate servants, to put yourself in a position where you're not too great. You're not too great and powerful and, oh, whatever it is, to be humble enough to wash someone else's feet, to be the servant of someone else. That is what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. That's what he's calling them to be. You see, we struggle in the church with social issues. We struggle in our relationships and we struggle with our identity and we struggle with our purpose because we don't understand the deeper meaning of what God's word is trying to tell us. And so we say things and we run up against social issues, which we will talk about this summer. Oh, God is love. That works it all out. God is love. Surface. God is love. So there's my theology. Because God is love. Here's my... Surface, no, no, don't get your shovel out. Don't dig below the surface and ask the right questions. Just stay surface level. And so we struggle in relationships and we struggle with our identity and we struggle with our purpose because we don't understand the deeper meanings of what God's word is trying to tell us. Most of our thinking is wrong. I hate to break the bad news to all of us, including me. Most of our thinking is wrong. And it's why we are so sometimes you ask yourself, why am I so disillusioned with life? Why does life might not make sense to me? Why do I struggle so much of with this? We struggle because we have the wrong thought process. God is asking us to walk in the good way. But we often tell him we will not walk that way. We will not do that. And God says, walk in the good way. This week, I want you to reflect. Seriously, homework. I want you to reflect on what we talked about this morning. Okay? And as you reflect on it, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. First question, where does my fear come from? Where does my fear come from? Does it come from trusting and relying on God? Just ask yourself the question, where does my fear come from? Where does my anxiety and my worry and my stress come from? From relying and trusting in the one who holds you in his arms? Is that where it comes from? And then, where do my internal and external conflicts come from? The ones you struggle with all the time. Where do they come from? All the fears, all the anxiety, all the worry, all the internal and external conflicts that you deal with. Where do they come from? Do they come from relying and trusting in your Heavenly Father? You're standing at a crossroads... And you need to ask the right question. Ask, where is the good path? And walk in it. What is the good way? Ask God, what is the good way? And walk in it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what is the good way? Give us more information on what is the good way so that we can grow spiritually. And I'll do that next week. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to come together and to look deep into your word and try to understand some of the contrasts that you challenge us with as followers of you. We pray, dear God, that you would help us to to grasp, to own these things, Lord God, so that we can become more like your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can become greater servants, so that we can grow in the knowledge of who you are and become more like you. Father, help us through this series to grasp all the truths that you have for us so that we can accomplish all that you have for us in this world becoming more like you, spending more time with you, Lord God. Help us to become those people. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.